Chapter 12 of The Silent Battle by George Gibbs. Recording by Tony Oliva. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Nellie Pennington Cuts In. It was the custom at Richard Pennington's dinners for the men to follow the ladies at once to the library or drawing room if they cared to for Nellie Pennington liked smoking and made no bones about it. People who dined with her were expected to do exactly as they pleased, and this included the use of tobacco in all parts of the house. She was not running a kindergarten, she insisted, and the mothers of timorous buds were amply warned that they must look to the habits of their tender offspring. And so, after the ices were served, when the women departed, some of their dinner partners followed them into the other rooms, finding more pleasure in the cigarette à deux than in the stable talk at the dismantled dining table. Phil Gallatin rose and followed the ladies to the door, and then returned, sank into a vacant chair, and began smoking, thinking deeply of the new difficulty into which nina jaffray had plunged him a small group of men remained larry kane william worthington ogden spencer and edgerton savage who gathered at the end of the table around their host selected your nineteen thirteen model yet bibby pennington asked with a laugh what is she to be this time inside control of course maximum flexibility minimum friction oh forget it dick said worthington sulkily no offense you know down on your luck cheer up old chap you'll be in love again presently there are as many good fish in the sea i'm not fishing put in bibby with some dignity by george whispered larry kane in awed tones i believe he's got it again oh bibby when you marry venus will go into sackcloth and ashes so will bibby said spencer marriage isn't in his line at all you know better than that don't you bibby no demnition bow wows on your venusberg what you've got the secret love often and you'll love longer aren't i right bibby oh let bibby alone sighed savage he's got the secret i take my hat off to him every year he bathes in the fountain of youth and like the chap in the book uh, what's his name gazes at his rejuvenated reflection in the limpid pool of virgin eyes look at him forty-five if he's a day and looks like a stage juvenile. Gallatin listened to the chatter with dull ears, smiling perfunctorily, not because he enjoyed this particular kind of humor, but because he did not choose to let his silence become conspicuous. And when the sounds from a piano were heard and the men rose to join the ladies, he had made a resolve to see Jane Loring alone, before the evening was gone in the drawing-room betty tremaine was playing airs from the latest broadway musical success 
which Derwell Delancey was singing with a throaty baritone. Jane Loring sat on a sofa next to her hostess, both of them laughing at young Perrin, who began showing the company a new version of the turkey trot. Do a dance Apache, Freddy, cried Nina Jaffray, springing to her feet. You know. And before he knew what she was about, he was seized by the arms, and while Miss Tremaine caught the spirit of the thing in a gay cadence of the boulevards, the two of them flew like mad things around the room, to the imminent hazard of furniture and its occupants. There was something barbaric in their wild rush as they whirled apart and came together again, and the dance ended only when Freddy Perrin catapulted into a corner breathless and exhausted. Miss Jeffrey remained upright, her slender breast heaving, her eyes dark with excitement, glancing from one to another with the bold challenge of a bacchante fresh from the groves of Naxos. There was uproarous applause and a demand for repetition, but as no one volunteered to take the place of the exhausted Perrin, the music ceased and Miss Jaffray, after rearranging her disordered hair, threw herself into a vacant chair. "'You're wonderful, Nina,' said Nellie Pennington languidly. "'But how can you do it? It's more like wrestling than dancing.' "'I like wrestling,' said Miss Jaffray, unperturbedly. Auction tables were formed in the library, and the company divided itself into parties of three or four, each with its own interests. Gallatin soon learned that it might prove difficult to carry his resolution into effect, for Miss Loring was the center of a group which seemed to defy disruption, and Coleman Van Dyne immediately preempted the nearest chair, from which nothing less than dynamite would have availed to dislodge him. Gallatin had heard that Van Dyne had been with the Lorings in Canada, and had wondered vaguely whether this fact could have anything to do with that gentleman's sudden change of manner toward himself. The two men had gone to the same school and the same university, and while they had never been by temper or inclination in the slightest degree suited to each other, circumstances threw them often together, and as fellow clubmates they had owed and paid each other a tolerable civility. But this winter Van Dyne's nods had been stiff, and his manner taciturn. Personally, Phil Gallatin did not care whether Coleman Van Dyne was civil or not, and only thought of the matter in its possible reference to Jane Loring. Gallatin leaned over the back of the sofa in conversation with Nellie Pennington, listening with one ear to Coley's rather heavy attempts at amiability. After a while, his hostess moved to a couch in the corner and motioned for him to take the place beside her. "'You know, Phil,' she began, reproving him in her softest tones, "'I've been thinking about you a lot lately.' aren't you flattered? You ought to be. I've made up my mind to speak to you with all the seriousness of my 
advanced years yes mother dear laughed phil what is it now have i been breaking window panes or pulling the cat's tail neither and both she returned calmly but it's your sins of omission that bother me most you're incorrigibly lazy thanks he said settling himself comfortably i know it and aren't you ashamed of yourself awfully i'm told that you're never in your office that you've let your practice go to smash that your partners are on the point of casting you into the outer darkness oh that's true he said wearily i've practically withdrawn from the firm nelly i didn't bring any business in it's even possible that i kept some of it out i'm a moral and physical incubus in fact john kenyon has almost told me so well what are you going to do about it do a loaf of bread beneath the bough a flask of wine a book of verse and thou if you'll come with me nelly there was no response of humor in nelly pennington's expression no she said quietly not i i want you to be serious phil she paused a moment looking down and when her eyes sought his again he saw in them the spark of a very genuine interest i don't know whether you know it or not phil but i'm really very fond of you and if i didn't understand you as well as i do of course i wouldn't dare to be so frank philip gallatin inclined his head slightly go on please he said she hesitated a moment and then clutched his arm with her strong fingers i want you to wake up phil she said with sudden insistence i want you to wake up to open your eyes wide wide do you hear to stretch your intellectual fibers and learn something of your own strength you're asleep boy you've been asleep for years i want you to wake up and prove the stuff that's in you you're the last of your line phil the very last but whatever the faults of your father's left you you've got their genius too gallatin was slowly shaking his head not that only i know it she said proudly you can't hide from everybody phil i still remember those cases you won when you were just out of law school that political one and the other of the drunkard indicted on circumstantial evidence i was interested in that he muttered you'll be interested again you must be do you hear you've come to the parting of the ways phil and you've got to make a choice you're drifting with the tide and i don't like it waiting for time to provide your destiny when you've got the making of it in your own hands you've got to put to sea hoist what sail you've got and brave the elements i'm a derelict nelly he said painfully shame phil she whispered a derelict is a ship without a soul you a derelict 
then society is made up of derelicts discards from the game of opportunity some of us are rich we think we can afford to be idle ambition doesn't matter to such men as dick or larry kane or edgerton savage their lines were drawn in easy places their lives were ready-made from the hour that they were born but you there's no excuse for you you are not rich as the world considers such things you're poor and so you're born for better things you've got the gallatin intellect the gallatin solidity the gallatin cleverness and the gallatin insufficiency he finished for her a fig for your vices she said contemptuously it's the little men of the world that never have any vices no big man ever was without them whatever dims the luster of the spirit the white fire of intellect burns steadily on unless she paused and glanced at him quickly lowering her voice unless the luster of the spirit is dimmed too long phil he clasped his long fingers around one of his knees and looked thoughtfully at the rug i understand he said quietly you don't mind my speaking to you so do you phil dear he closed his eyes and then opening them as though with an effort looked at her squarely no nelly her firm hand pressed his strongly let me help you phil there are not many fellows i'd go out of my way for not many of them are worth it phil you've got to take hold at once right away make a fresh start i did take hold for for a good while and then and then i slipped a cog why you mean it was too hard for you no not at all it had got so that i wasn't bothered not much that is i let go purposely he stopped suddenly i can't tell you why i guess i'm a fool that's all she examined his face with a new interest there was something here she could not understand she had known phil gallatin since his boyhood and had always believed in him she had watched his development with the eyes of an elder sister and had never given up the hope that he might carry on the traditions of his blood in all things save the one to be dreaded she had never talked with him before indeed she would not have done so to-night had it not been that a strong friendly impulse had urged her she made it a practice never to interfere in the lives of others if interference meant the cost of needless pain but as she had said to him phil gallatin was worth helping she was thankful too that he had taken her advice kindly what was this he was saying about letting go purposely what but she had reached the ends of friendliness and the beginnings of curiosity no you're not a fool phil and you shan't call yourself names and then you say you weren't bothered much 
no things had got a good deal easier for me i was beginning to feel hopeful for the future it had cost me something but i had got my grip i had started in at the office again and kenyon had given me some important work to do good old uncle john he seemed to know that i was trying he stopped a moment and then went on rapidly he turned me loose on a big corporation case the firm was preparing for trial i threw myself into the thing body and soul i worked like a dog night and day and every hour that i worked my grip on myself grew stronger i was awake then nelly full of enthusiasm my old love of my profession glowing at a white heat that absorbed and swallowed all other fires it seemed that i found out some things the other fellows had overlooked and a few days before the big case was to be called kenyon asked me if i didn't want to take charge i don't believe he knew how good that made me feel i seemed to have come into my own again i knew i could win and i told him so so he and hood dropped out and turned the whole thing over to me i had it all at my fingers ends you know i once learned a little law nelly and i was figuring on a great victory as gallatin spoke his long frame slowly straightened his head drew well back on his shoulders and a new fire glowed in his eyes it was great he went on i don't believe any man alive ever felt more sure of himself than i did when i wound up that case and shut up my desk for the day if i won and when i should it would give kenyon hood and gallatin a lot of prestige things looked pretty bright that night i began to see the possibilities of a career nelly a real career that even a gallatin might be proud of he came to a sudden pause his figure crumpled and the glow in his eyes faded as though a film had fallen across them and then asked nelly pennington and then he muttered haltingly something happened to me i had uh, a disappointment and things went all wrong inside of me i didn't care what happened i went to the bad nelly clean clean to the bad yes said mrs pennington softly i heard that's why i spoke to you tonight you haven't been no thank god i'm keeping straight now but it did hurt to have done so well and then to have failed so utterly you see the case i was speaking of kenyon hood and gallatin had turned the whole business over to me and i wasn't there to plead they couldn't find me there was a postponement of course but my opportunity had passed and it won't come again he stopped glanced at her face and then turned away i don't know why i've told you these things he finished soberly for sympathy is hardly the kind of thing a man in my position can stand for nellie pennington remained silent 
Her interest was deep and her wonder uncontrollable. Therefore, being a woman, she did not question. She only waited. Her woman's eyes tonight had been wide open. She had already made a rapid diagnosis of which her curiosity compelled a confirmation. They were alone at their end of the room. Miss Loring and Mr. Van Dyne had gone into the bridge tables, and Edgerton Savage was conversing in a low tone with Betty Tremaine, whose fingers straying over the piano were running softly through an aria from La Boheme. You know, Nellie, he went on presently, I'm not in the habit of talking about my own affairs, even with my friends, but I believe it's done me a lot of good to talk to you. You'll forgive me, won't you? She nodded and then went on quickly. The trouble with you is that you don't talk enough about yourself, Phil. You're a seething mass of introspection. It isn't healthy. Friends are only conversational chopping blocks after all. Why don't you use them? Me, for instance. I'm safe, sane, and I confess a trifle curious. She paused a moment and then said keenly, It's a girl, of course. He raised his head quickly and then lowered it as quickly again. No, there isn't any girl. Oh, yes, there is. I've known it for quite two hours. How? he asked in alarm. She waved her fan with a graceful gesture. Second sight, a sixth sense, an appreciation for the fourth dimension. In short, the instinct of a woman. You mean that you guessed? No, that I perceived. It takes a woman to perceive something which doesn't exist, he said easily. She turned and examined him with level brows. Then why did you admit it? I didn't. She leaned back among her pillows and laughed at him mockingly. Oh, Phil, must I be brutal? What do you mean? That the girl is here tonight. That is not true, he stammered. She is not here. Mrs. Pennington did not spare him. A moment ago, you denied that there was a girl. Now you're willing to admit that she's only absent. Please don't doubt the accuracy of my feminine deductions, Phil. Nothing provokes me more. You may drive me to the extreme of mentioning her name. Gallatin stopped fencing. It was an art he was obliged reluctantly to confess, in which he was far from a match for this tantalizing adversary, so he relapsed into silence, aware that the longer the conversation continued, the more vulnerable he became. But she reassured him in a moment. Oh, why won't you trust me? She whispered, her eyes dark with interest. I do want to help you, if you'll let me. It was only a guess, Phil, a guess founded on the most intangible evidence. But I couldn't help seeing. You know, a heaven-born hostess is Midas-eared and Argus-eyed. What passed between you and Jane Loring? Nothing that I'm aware of passed between us, he said quietly. She was very civil. 
as civil as a cucumber no more no less how could i know that she didn't want to go to dinner with you you heard yes from the back of my head besides phil i've always told you that your eyes were too expressive his look of dismay was so genuine that she stopped and laid her hand along his arm i was watching you phil that's why i know i shouldn't have noticed if i hadn't been yes he slowly admitted at last miss loring and i had met before at that he stopped and would say no more instinct warned her that curiosity had drawn her to the verge of intrusiveness and so she too remained silent while through her head a hundred thoughts were racing benevolent romantic speculative concerning these two young people whom she liked and one of whom was unhappy they had met before on terms of intimacy but where intimacies worth quarreling over were scarcely to be made in the brief season during which jane loring had been in new york for unlike mr worthington phil gallatin was no cultivator of social squabs obviously they had met elsewhere last summer phil gallatin was fishing in canada canada so was jane mrs pennington straightened and examined her companion curiously she had heard the story of phil gallatin's wood nymph and was now thoroughly awake to the reasons for his reticence so she sank back among her cushions her eyes downcast a smile wreathing her lips the smile of the collector of objects of art and virtue who has stumbled upon a hidden rarity it was a smile too of self-appreciation and approval for her premises had been negligible and her conclusion only arrived at after a process of induction which surprised her by the completeness of its success she was already wondering how her information could best serve her purposes as mediator when gallatin spoke again we had met before nelly under unusual and and uh, trying conditions there was a misunderstanding something happened which you need not know a damage to to her pride which i would give my right hand to repair perhaps if you could see her alone yes i was hoping for that but it hardly seems possible here mrs pennington was leaning forward now slightly away from him thinking deeply thoroughly alive to her responsibilities her responsibilities to jane loring as well as to the man beside her it was the judgment of the world that phil was a failure her own judgment too in spite of her affection for him and yet in her breast there still lived a belief that he still had a chance for regeneration she had seen the spark of it in his eyes heard the echo of it in tones of his voice when he had spoken of his last failures she hesitated long before replying her eyes looking into space 
like a seer of visions as though she were trying to read the riddle of the future and when she spoke it was with tones of resolution i think it might be managed will you leave it to me she gave him her hand in a warm clasp i believe in you phil and i understand she finished softly gallatin followed her to the door of the library unquiet of mind and sober of demeanor he had long known nellie pennington to be a wonderful woman and the tangible evidences of her cleverness still lingered as the result of his interview there seemed to be nothing a woman of her equipment could not accomplish nothing she could not learn if she made up her mind to it in twenty minutes of talk she had succeeded in extracting from gallatin without unseemly effort his most carefully treasured secret and indeed he half suspected that her intuition had already supplied the missing links in the chain of gossip that was going the rounds about him but he did not question her loyalty or her tact and happy to trust his fortunes entirely into her hands he approached the bridge tables aware that the task which his hostess had assumed so lightly was one that would tax her ingenuity to the utmost her last whispered admonition as she left him in the hall had been wait and don't play bridge and so he followed her injunction implicitly wondering how the miracle was to be accomplished miss loring did not raise her head at his approach and even when the others at the table nodded greetings she bent her head upon her cards and made her bids carelessly oblivious of his presence miss jaffray hardly improved his situation when she flashed a mocking glance up at him and laughed satyr she said i could never have believed it of you phil you were such a nice little boy too though you would pull my pigtail don't mind nina phil said worthington gaily satirical remarks are her long suit especially when she's losing nina regarded him reproachfully there was a time bibby when you wouldn't have spoken so unkindly of me is this the way you repay your debt of gratitude gratitude yes i might have married you you know oh nina i'd forgotten think of the peril you escaped and be thankful i am he said devoutly you ought to be and then to miss loring vivi hasn't proposed to you yet has he jane she asked i don't think so said jane laughing have you mr worthington he flushed painfully and gnawed at his small mustache nina had scored heavily i hope he does jane went on with a sense of throwing a boy to a drowning man because i'm sure i'd accept him worthington smiled gratefully and adored her in fervent silence men have stopped asking me to marry them lately sighed nina it annoys me dreadfully she spoke of this misfortune with the same careless tone one would use with reference to a distasteful pattern 
in wallpaper but think of the hearts you've broken said gallatin or of the hearts i wanted to break but couldn't she replied yours for instance phil you couldn't have tried very hard he laughed i didn't know you were a satyr then she said pushing her chair back from the table you're rubber i think bibby i'm sure we'd better stop dick or you'll never ask me here again end of chapter twelve